Hi guys, thanks for listening. My name is Sierra Wagner and welcome to the very first episode of Vibin' and Thriving podcast. I don't really know what to do next in a podcast, um, so I'm just going to kind of give a little introduction about myself so you all know about me, your wonderful host. I'm 25 and I live in my childhood bedroom in western Pennsylvania. I live in a really small town settled pretty much directly between Erie and Pittsburgh, so there's not a, not much going on besides Amish people. Um, I moved home about 13 months ago, so for the three years prior to that, from 2017 until 2020, I lived in Breckenridge, Colorado, which is a small little ski town nestled in the Rocky Mountains about two-ish hours west of Denver, give or take on traffic, Um, and I really enjoyed my time out there. I would definitely say it made me into the woman in my mid-20s that I am today. I learned a lot of life lessons. I'm a Sagittarius sun, Virgo moon, Aries rising, and I share my birthday with Taylor Swift. Um, Fun fact, I've always won. I don't know if it's a fun fact, but I've always wanted to celebrate a birthday with Taylor. I don't know if that'll ever happen, but I'm going to put it on my vision board. Um, I really like spiders, the bug. I'm not scared of them. Um, And I don't feel like I'm an inherently relaxed human being. I have a lot of high, strong energy. In 2015, I was diagnosed with anxiety, depression, and borderline personality disorder um, after I spent a week in a psych ward for suicidal ideations, and I've always felt that um, going through something like that at 19, because that's how old I was when it happened, was really impactful to my adult life because, you know, I was technically an adult, you know, I was over 18 at the time, Um, but at the time, I was still very much an adolescent, and I had, I I still have a lot to learn. But like I said, I've always wanted to have a podcast. I talk a lot. I love talk shows, radio shows. I would say that's something I've always been really interested in. So it's kind of nice to take your own ideas and just make it into a podcast. Um, So this is kind of like a personal diary. I I don't really know what else it's going to be. I'll probably have some loose loose topics here and there and themes for episodes. But I'm just going to wing it. Um, Honestly, who knows? So... I know there's like topics that aren't really ever going to be off the table. I'm not a super religious person, so you will probably never catch me, you know, quoting the Bible or the Torah or any other like religious text, but I do find a lot of value in spirituality, really interested in politics, sexuality, mental health, relationships, both platonic and romantic, um, pop culture. So it's always going to be a little bit about that. For my first episode, I wanted to talk about attachment style and attachment theory um, because I've been doing a lot of, you know, inner work and I've thought, you know, why am I so scared of rejection? Um, I'm a pretty confident person, but when it comes especially towards like romantic interest and, you know, this, the the whole attachment style doesn't have to be applied to romantic um, interest and romantic relationships, but especially when it's concerned to those I fear rejection so much and I get so much anxiety about it. Um, And I started hearing about attachment theory and attachment style. Um, So I did a little bit of my own research. So for anyone that doesn't know, attachment style is a psychological evolutionary theory concerning relationships between humans. Um, It was first really developed, you know, thinking about young children and part of child psychology to know why certain children act different ways, um, you know, and how they bond 
with their caregivers and their parents. And this theory was formulated by a psychiatrist and psychoanalyst, John Bowlby, in the 1950s. Um, he's known as the father of attachment theory. And he really just wanted to understand why infants um, experienced distress when they were separated from caregivers and why different, different children experienced it differently. Um, and then Mary Ainsworth went on to discover um, and research more about attachment behavior. But it wasn't until, I believe, about like the 80s, 90s, that two researchers, Hazan and Shriver, they went on to create a love quiz to demonstrate how attachment theories, um, they impact our adult romantic relationships. And I also think that they impact our friendships because there's a lot of love um, in friendships that we experience. So there's four attachment theories. So the first one is the secure attachment. So this is when they did the study, it said about 56% of adults, I think it's much lower now um, in the 21st century, but they're able to form secure relationships. So they had caregivers as children that met all their basic needs. Um, And I believe from what I read, to have a secure attachment theory, only 30% of your basic needs or your needs need to be met. Um, I don't really research this stuff and I'm not a pro at it. Um, but I would say, you know, it's not like a really high amount that needs to be met for children to um, develop secure attachment styles. And then everything after that is known as an insecure attachment style, but there's three different ones. So there's fir- the first one I'm going to talk about is an anxious attachment style. So it's a deep fear of abandonment and rejection and um, about 19% of adults are impacted or have the anxious um, attachment style and it's characterized typically by being needy and clingy. So I think when you think of the um, like that stereotypical like oh my girlfriend always wants to be around me and she's really needy and she's really clingy a lot of the time she probably just has, or he, you know, this can be boyfriends or girlfriends or, you know, whatever, they have an anxious attachment style. So they really fear rejection. Um, the next one, which is what I have scored the highest in, is the avoidant or sometimes the dismissive avoidant attachment th- style. So it's a fear of intimacy. And at large, um, we are, I'm going to say we, because I really experience this are emotionally unavailable and 25% of adults, um, so a quarter of us are avoidant in our attachment style. And I don't know if I watch this on like TikTok or what I, I absorb a lot of information all the time. Um, but it's the primary attachment style for adults that use dating apps, which is really interesting. Cause you know, I know I always complain about dating apps, like I'm not meeting anyone, but then when you think about it, like to have most adults, on dating apps be emotionally unavailable two emotionally unavailable people don't make one emotionally available person um and then the next one is the fearful avoidant attachment um so they both they these people express both anxious and avoidant so they crave affection but then they reject it at the same time it's really not well researched um but it's characterized as having heightened sexual behavior violence in relationships and difficulty regulating emotions um and it's important to recognize um for my listeners and you know anyone else that these can always change you can have a secure attachment style your entire entire childhood and then maybe your first three adult relationships 
you experienced a lot of toxicity and, you know, trust issues. So then you have an, an anxious one or an avoidant or fearful avoidant. Um, but whatever that is, it can be developed later on in life. And there were actually two, I believe they were Swiss researchers, Nicholas Favez and Hervé Tussaud did a research study in 2019 where they asked 600 men and women between the ages of 25 and 45 a questionnaire um, because they were trying to do more research on the fearful avoidant and you know what they found was that over a lifetime these individuals tend to have more sexual partners but they don't really know when to regulate it like um, what I was reading was that you could say like oh sure I'll have sex with you when you don't really want it Um, so there's a lot of different issues with that. Um, so I, I like to look at this because I like to know how different psychology plays into how me and collectively everyone as a human being is acting. Um, and like I said earlier, I have a really, I have a big fear of rejection, which kind of made me laugh that I didn't have, um, more of an anxious attachment style. But I think I've sort of manifested my fear of rejection into a fear of intimacy because I'm like, okay, you're, I'm never, I don't want to be rejected, but I'm not going to be vulnerable with another human being because vulnerability really scares me. I don't want to show too much about myself. Um, and why, why I act a certain way, um, but I've done, you know, some more research about it and, you know, talked about it with some friends and, you know, kind of done a lot of journaling. And I've realized that the fear of rejection, it's almost you rejecting yourself because you don't think you're good enough. Um, And there's so many times where I don't think I'm good enough for love or friendship or anything like that. You know, I don't have a perfect body. I don't have like the perfect mental health. What if they find someone better than me? Um, And it has really manifested into just being like, emotionally unavailable um I've I've had this like fear of intimacy and fear of rejection for a really long time even in high school um my first relationship with another person a man I keep saying other person but it wasn't like a male um I didn't necessarily like have find any interest in them when we first met I was like oh they're cute um like oh they think I'm cute like that was really it was a compliment to me because I thought like oh you know they accept me for how I look so let me give them a chance and we I should have known really early on that we were not compatible um but we went on to date on and off and it was really tumultuous for about two years and then I wouldn't say that they are the total reason that I ended up in a mental health facility but they definitely like played into a lot of things and issues that I had already had. And then, you know, they kind of came to light. So after that relationship, I definitely didn't want to open myself up to anyone. Um, there was like a lot of emotional cheating, just a lot of toxicity on both, both of our behalfs. It wasn't just him and it wasn't just me, but it was, you know, I didn't really know how to regulate my emotions when it came to a relationship. No one had ever taught me like, this is how you're supposed to act. Um, So since then, I've had like a real fear of getting to know anyone, but on the flip side, I have really close friendships. Um, And I think mentally, this is how I categorize it in my brain. Like, okay, 
don't have a lot of romance. And I would say in my early 20s, I was rather promiscuous. I hooked up with a lot of people. Um, not to shame anyone, like, it doesn't really matter what your body count is, but I was having a lot of casual sex. Um, and I definitely got, my ego was fed by this casual sex because I was like, oh yeah, they want me and I really enjoy this. Um, but it wasn't, wasn't good for me. And now I've been celibate for a year, which has also been a struggle, um, cause I crave human touch. But what I was saying was after I got off my soapbox on that one, um, I have really close friendships and really intimate friendships. We know almost everything about each other. And I feel really comfortable in my friendships to tell my friends things that I'm struggling with, things that I'm going through, how I'm thinking, you know, just all these different, every different aspect of myself and even the things that I'm really shameful that I don't want to admit to myself. I do eventually, and it's not all my friends, you know, not all my friends get to hear this, but a lot of my friends, you know, they find themselves lucky enough to hear all my human struggles, but I hear their human struggles too. And you know what they're insecure about and we talk about it. So I've really prided myself in my twenties having really close friendships but when it comes to romantic um love interest I'm like no that's not for me not for me but deep down it is for me and I just have such a scare like I have a fear of being vulnerable with anyone and then to me I'm like okay if I'm vulnerable and then they reject me that's even worse and I'm just gonna retract back into my shell and I I have a lot of pride in feeling very independent as a human being. Um, and I think this is a common theme, especially amongst our 20s. And I would say amongst young women, um, I could be wrong, but it kind of seems like, you know, I'm independent. I don't need anyone. But deep down, like, I, I would like someone to be there. And I think it's a a common theme amongst human beings. We We want someone to be there for us. We we want other human beings. It's not, it's not a superpower to be independent. And I have always really felt that it's a superpower to be independent, but we do need other human beings. We need a community. We need a support system. We need people that are going to uplift us. Um, we also need people that are going to tell us how it is. I would say that's another, um, something that I'm really thankful for my friends. I have one friend in particular that if I'm talking about something, she'll ask me if I want truth or if I want comfort. Um, because she has no issues giving me the truth about a situation. Like, I think this is how you're acting, Sierra. Like, and she will tell me, and this is why I don't think it's healthy. And I think it's important for our friends to be honest with us. Um, because what good is it in our friendship if they're not being honest with us, if they're always sugarcoating things so you don't make them mad there are other human beings that, you know, I trust my friends with my life, so I should also trust them to give me advice that I don't necessarily want to hear. And a lot of the times it could be something that I already know, but I'm just ignoring it because I, if I always feel like, you know, if I feel this like icky emotion and I just don't acknowledge it, it's not there, but it is. And it typically festers way worse. And then, um, I tend to have, you know, episodes where, I'm just going to be crying in bed and crying about everything because for so long I pushed all these icky emotions away that I didn't want to feel until I get to the point where all I only feel icky emotions and I like need to explode. Um, and recently, and when I say recently, I mean within like the last month, I've noticed that there are certain days 
where I just I want to cry in bed and I instead of like pushing it away like no you can't cry I cry sometimes I take I don't really like driving um but I'll go for a drive and get like a scoop of ice cream or a coffee and listen to sad music and just dramatically cry and it always feels like a movie scene to me I'm always like I'm having my main character moment and I'm crying in my car getting a coffee to Taylor Swift I'm very dramatic about it um but then I feel you know okay I'm like oh I got those got those emotions out and I would say I definitely was not regulating my emotions between the ages of 15 and 23 I would say it's a new phenomena for me to be regulating my emotions um but I think it's just a sign of growing up and I also think it's a sign of growing up when your friendships are growing you know I said my friend that talks about truth or comfort because she's like I can comfort you if you just want to hear like lovey-dovey things like it's not your fault they can be there for that but I that's a new it's a new thing she does she hasn't always done it um but I it's something that I really love that she does um is asking do you want truth or do you want comfort and you know I think you know I know I started this episode talking about attachment theory a little bit I think I like for me I like researching the psychology behind why I'm acting the way I'm acting and why things are the way they are um because it makes me feel you know just a little bit better like oh I'm you know really emotionally unavailable right now like I'm, I'm trying to date someone but you know anytime anyone expresses emotion towards me I'm like oh oh and you know it's nice knowing that I can go within myself and see like why am I doing this and then you know saying like oh well I do have according to psychology an avoidant attachment style so this is obviously why you know I'm feeling this way and I would say if you have never taken like an attachment style quiz um, or an attachment theory quiz to find out about yourself be really honest in the answers I was super honest Um, so I scored the highest on avoidant and then like 2% lower was fearful avoidant, um, which I kind of always felt like I was more fearful avoidant, which is being anxious and dismissive, um, you know, where I crave attention, but I reject it because I would say that's something that feels very, that resonates with me a lot. Um, But I'd also say to go into it with an open mind and not think like, oh, this is how my parents did me wrong, blah, 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 because we all have like parental baggage no one's parents were a hundred percent like perfect human beings and anyone listening if you're going to be a parent like newsflash you're not going to be a perfect human being either humans I think it's like in our nature to traumatize each other in some aspects you can be like a really loving individual and still do toxic things like everyone has the like the ability to be toxic at one time or another um so don't go into it thinking like oh this means my parents really fucked me up like no they might not have really fucked you up and you might have a really good relationship with your parents but you internalized your emotions or you know you feel them a different way um because I would imagine that if my brother took the quiz we probably would have very different um theories like we would have different results and you know we have the same parents we were raised essentially the same way. I am six years older than him, so there might be some difference um, in that. You know, it might be better if you're, like, raised with a sibling that's really close in age to then see um, 
how common or how similar your results are but I wouldn't immediately like I didn't sit there and think like oh my parents yep yep they fucked me up and I've definitely thought that about my parents like wow you guys really did me dirty on certain things but definitely don't go into taking a quiz about attachment style that way um but there is you know a lot of a lot of good behind recognizing where parents especially during our formative years kind of messed us up and they might not have I would say a lot of the times our parents weren't maliciously messing us up they were doing you know the best they could um I'd say I'm now as I've gotten older a little more forgiving especially towards my mom we have always had at least I have have always had issues with her um but now she had me she turned 20 the month before I was born and now at 25 almost 26 this is how old she would have been with two children and I like sit here thinking like I can't even keep my room clean I can't make sure to get my oil changed but I you know I feel a little more like empathetic towards my mom because I'm like oh you were 25 with two kids that does not sound fun and you were obviously doing the best you could and my parents still do the best they could and they're very loving and they you know my brother and I I would definitely say are like spoiled and we have more than we could want for um not in a bad way but they didn't totally mess me up but one of the things about I've read about rejection um is that if you were emotionally rejected as a child especially by like our caregivers you know whoever took care of you and you go to it go to you know you're a preteen you're like 17 and you're older than that you're going to start experiencing your first romantic relationships um if you've always kind of been emotionally rejected and that's how you perceive love like oh well they emotionally reject me but then my mom like my parents tell me they love me a lot of people especially when you don't have the realization of this this is the only way you know how to experience love so you think to yourself well you know they say they're not interested in me but in you know in your brain when my childhood tells me like oh they say they're not interested in me but that must mean that they love me um and I think especially for me um I think if I would have known that and been really self-aware um in my teenage years I probably would have done a little bit better for myself but I also know that I struggled immensely with mental health issues in high school um I know one of the like big things that no one talks about with anxiety and depression and stuff like that is that you have memory loss and I have another really close friend and we've known each other since elementary school and he loves to tell me these things that I did in high school and I'm like I don't remember that nope don't remember that and I think back like those were some of the darkest days for me and I don't think a lot of people realize that because I was really talkative and extroverted but I was miserable I hated high school there were so many times that I was like yep I just want to end it now um and it didn't really catapult into that until my during my freshman year of college which was horrendous I did really poorly academically I was losing friendships I was like really caught up in a really toxic relationship that probably should have ended like 18 months prior to me being my in my freshman year of college but I, I didn't know and I didn't really know how to express to my friends and my family that I'd been struggling all these years. I would say like my first memory of being like I'm depressed 
was probably about at nine, but at nine, I didn't know how to tell anyone, like, I'm really sad all the time. So it was like a 10-year battle with my mental health, and it's still a battle with my mental health. It's every day is not peachy keen, um, but I would say now I have the tools to know um, how to handle myself, and I'm definitely a little more self-aware. I'm like, oh, don't want to be messy and depressed as an adult. Like, I I don't want to go through, and there's nothing wrong with depression. It's people people deal with it people go through it it's nothing to be like ashamed of and I'm not ashamed of the fact that I have depression I'm just definitely more self-aware now as a 25 year old than I was as a 15 year old like now I can start feeling like oh I'm gonna have like a week of depression how you know I'm gonna feel these emotions and I'm gonna tell my friends what I need from them or you know just let them know like hey I'm feeling really depressed and you know I'd say my friends are even really self-aware I've been really sleepy lately um, and I'm not saying I've been depressed lately. I've been sleepy because um, I went on vacation to California and then there was like I was there for a week and then I came back. So the whole time zone thing. Um, I have like a lot of issues with my health when it comes to like my lady bits. So I don't always get my period and then I got it. So there's like been a, like jet lag, not having your period for a really long time. All that stuff has like all just came together and I'm like I'm so exhausted and I've literally the other day slept for like four hours in the middle of the day and I was telling my friend this and she was like that sounds like depression but I love having friends that are also aware like they know um that they struggle with mental health things so they're like oh you know when I'm depressed I sleep a lot like are you feeling okay and you know and and it was a great it was a great opening because I was like I'm feeling fine I don't really feel overly depressed but you know, I'm feeling just, you know, tired, but it's nice having friends that you can talk to about this because in my teenage years, I didn't know how to express to my friends, like, I don't have a will to live anymore. But now as an adult, I can look at my friends and be like, I don't have a will to live. And they'd be like, okay, we're going to get through this together. Um, So I'd say that's, you know, having a support system around. And that's why I really like to apply attachment styles to friendships too. And I originally said like, you know, it's, you know, about our caregivers, our parents, our grandparents, because I also like to think that we can have different attachment styles to different people. I would say to a lot of my friends, I do have a secure attachment style because my friends and I have never failed each other, or so far we've never failed each other. Um, But yeah, so hopefully you guys enjoy it. I don't know what else to say. I feel like I've rambled on a lot, which I'm guessing will be most of these episodes is just me rambling so hopefully you like it um hopefully this is something useful to my listeners who in my mind I'm like okay only my friends and family are going to listen to this and they're gonna be like wow Sierra but you know I hope other people listen to it too I hope random strangers on the internet it's like the beautiful thing of the internet I have so many random like internet like twitter friends and just different things um which I'd say is like really It's a big characteristic of our generation is having these like random internet friends. But I guess it's how people used to have pen pals and then meet their pen pals after 30 years in some foreign country. Um, But hopefully, you know, you guys got something out of my my episode on attachment theory and why I think we're scared of rejection um, and how it impacts us and just mental health. I don't I don't really know what to 
to say about this episode and it wasn't I don't think it was like incredibly long um it was probably about 30 minutes which is probably how long most episodes are gonna be but yeah thank you guys thank you so much for listening and I hope to hope to make more episodes for you and have you all listen bye